This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the defense versus the Browns. Outstanding freaking game. It's one of the ones we're going to really enjoy in the history of this rivalry. And discussing with me is Brandon Croxton. Brandon, how you doing? Hey, Ken, doing great. Yeah, this is um, very exciting, and this is a big win to try to set yourself up to win this division. You're now in sole possession of first place, and you've gotten two road wins in the division out of the way, and it's very, very exciting, very good position to be in. So we talked about some very interesting topics, I thought, in part one, answered a couple uh, fantastic questions, I thought, from uh, people who were in Pounce using hashtag film study mailbag. Um, but we talked a little bit about what do the Ravens do with their depth now at cornerback, newfound depth at cornerback and safety, where they have some options in terms of how they align people with Mallette at slot corner, with the possibility of Hamilton staying there when Williams returns, uh, with Stone's play being at a high level, with the possibility of bringing up Deron Harmon from the practice squad, with the four cornerbacks they could have, uh, along with Humphrey for two outside corner spots where they still have not been able to get Rock Yassin on the field for very many snaps so far. So um, unbelievably, the Ravens piling up depth at corner that I don't think anybody expected them to have that has largely, I think, been a function of, um, you know, at least the quality of play, has been a function of how effective their cover two defense has been. And Brandon and I had a long discussion about that in the first episode, so I think it's worth it's worth going to. We also talked a little bit about the simplified game plan the Ravens used in this one in terms of both pass rush, using almost exclusively the nickel package, keeping eyes on the quarterback at all times in, in zone defense, and uh, just how effective that was against DTR. It's a good listen. Uh, go back and download that one, maybe even before you listen to this one. It's uh, it's out there. Um, Brandon, great to have you back and, and talk a little bit. I think we'll, we'll jump right in on some individual player discussion and there are a lot of Raven stars from this one, but start us off and pick one. Sure. Um, well, it was hard for me to pick any one particular defensive lineman, but um, so I, I just, I'll, I'll just talk kind of a little bit about the entire defensive line, which played just an incredibly great game. Um, Cleveland's offensive line is one of the better ones of the league. And um, every and they, the Ravens just manhandled them up front. They weren't able to run the ball at all the entire game. And all the, all the interior defensive linemen were able to get pressure and even get a couple of sacks. Um, Braddock Washington had a sack. Uh, Matabike had a sack. Um, Brent Urban hit, got a nice hit on DTR to force a uh, incompletion on a, on a long, on a deep pass. And, um, you know, Pierce was, you know, holding up the middle pretty well and drew a holding holding call and got a got a big QB hit on him on himself also. So this is a great um, just beat down from the defensive line and every one every one of them played really well. Yeah, I, I agree. For starters, I thought they won the game in a lot of ways in in this one. The the sec the all of the back seven with eyes on the football, played fantastic. 
but I don't think it would have been possible to continue with a four-man pass rush down after down after down and all the success they had with that had they not been getting some interior pressure from that DL fairly regularly. And we mentioned that they had 45% pressure on the 40 plays that resulted in a pass or sack in this one. Probably a little bit higher than that if you include the scrambles where DTR was forced to leave the pocket. But, uh, you know, very fine game. I thought Matt Abike in particular had his best game of the season. He'd been having a lot of problems with penalties. In this one, he came up with a sack where he kind of rolled over DTR yeah. profitably <laughs> for a, uh, a a sack. And I think, didn't he have another QH? What was his other pressure event? His other pressure event, yeah, he had a quarterback hit on the interception by Stone uh, towards the end of the game. So a really nice uh, game from him. Didn't play the run poorly, I, I would say. So uh, very positive that, that he got on the board. The other thing I'll say about Matabike in particular is he played only 35 snaps in this game. Now, the Ravens lost snap count again, 65 to 55 in this game. And it's becoming a problem that they, they seem to lose it every week. The Monken offense for a lot of the red zone success it's had in particular, which I think, by the way, is much more important. Um, mm-hmm. uh, has not been tremendously effective in terms of series success rate, where it's been uh, less of a, uh, a, a of a successful thing. By the way, I think we were supposed to hit on that, and we didn't in the first episode. So maybe after this, after talking about these defensive linemen, we'll move back to some of the drive stats you have and and the red zone sure. percentages the Ravens have shown. But I, I, I'm a firm believer that Matabike needs to play less to be his freshest as a pass rusher. And I thought he finally got that opportunity in this game with only 35 snaps played. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it's this was one of the best games uh, by the defensive line by far. And Matabike is definitely his best game of the year. Yeah. So, Brandon, you, as a defensive lineman yourself, can you remember the last time you played 35 snaps in a game? Was it was no time in college? Am I correct about that? No, no time in college. It was it was high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then you would have been on the field pretty much 100 percent of snaps, or did you ever come out? Yeah, yeah. Um, rarely would I come out, but yeah, it, I easily played that many snaps every every game. Okay. Senior, yeah. yeah. And you you had a little offensive line play to go with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Played both ways a little bit too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's uh, certainly impressive. So you're the you're the um, Daryl Worley from last week, 102 <laughs> snap guy. There you go. Not um, nearly that good. <laughs> but, uh, let's yeah. talk about the rest of the defensive line before we go back to this, some of these stats and take a break for that. I thought Michael Pierce had an unheralded great game, and he'd been really overworked the first few games, but this game he got kind of a kind of a little bit of a break, and it was a definitely a side benefit of this game. Matabike still led the line in snaps, but Pierce got reduced to, let me give you the number here. And these, these are only the, the snaps that resulted in a non-penalty play, only 30 snaps, which for him is quite low. Um, when he was in the game, the Browns averaged only 1.2 yards per play on those 30 snaps. So even though they were you know 2.8 yards or whatever they were overall, looks like 2.6, there were only 1.2 when, when he was in there. Um, he had zero pressures of his own as I scored it, but that didn't mean he wasn't absolutely a bulwark against the run and, and uh, very effective at keeping the pocket compressed uh, as a pass defender, even though he didn't, didn't score a pressure on that. Right, yeah. He's, he's, he's still an effective uh, in the nose, and um, he drew a holding penalty on a on a scramble by DTR at one point and good point brought and brought it back uh, and it brought back a, a, a pretty decent game. So, you know, holding penalties are, are almost as good as sacks, and mm. you know, that that these holding penalties can be drive killer, killers. They lose ten yards. The only the only disadvantage is you don't get that loss of loss of down. Yeah. yeah. They do give you optionality, though. So if the play ends up being worse, like a turnover or a or a long sack, you can take the other play. So post snap yeah. penalties are killers. Period. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love uh, I love that, and I think that defensive linemen need to be carefully and positively graded for each penalty that they draw. Uh, it's an art form. In a little bit, you want to make sure you know where those hands are on you, 
as a mm-hmm. defensive lineman. Does the offensive lineman has jersey, and do you have a way to wiggle outside his frame and show it off to the referee right. if the if the ball is legitimately to either side of you? Right. Yep. Yeah. Did you have any tricks for doing that when you were playing? No, I wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. Yes. All right. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, let's go back and talk about what we promised to talk about in the first episode, which is the Ravens' generalized red zone success. And you had some other information to talk about drive rates for the defense. So if it's okay, I'll start with the red zone success first, because I think that's been one of the stories of the season so far. The Ravens have an 80% TD rate on 15 red zone possessions this year. So they've had an interception, two field goals, and 12 touchdowns. I want to give you some context for that. That's 6.1 points per red zone possession. And by comparison, opponents have converted only three of 10 red zone trips into touchdowns. So they probably are a little bit, I don't know if they're a little bit over three points per um, uh, uh, red zone possession or maybe a little bit under, but anyway, significantly less is is obviously the, the point I'm making. Um, Last year, the best team in the National Football League was about 71%. The median team in the National Football League was around 56%. And the Ravens were around 44%. Mm-hmm. Which I think if you look at the difference in offense between these two seasons, that's the thing you have to point to is red zone success. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, you know... It, the difference between seven and three is is huge, and the, the Ravens last year were they were able to move the ball efficiently into the red zone a lot more than they've been able to do so far this year. But the difference has been when we get in the end zone when we get in the red zone this year, scoring touchdowns. And last year, it, like you said, less than fifty percent of the time you're scoring a touchdown in the red zone. That's it's just not good enough. Right. Some of that was Tyler Huntley, of course. You know, having Lamar Jackson is good, but honestly, I, I don't think there was as much of a difference as we would hope there would be between those two. Right. Yeah, I don't remember them being. They they were they struggled in the red zone with Lamar, also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Now you had some stats for the defense, and I'm dying to hear these because uh, I didn't look at this, and I should have. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll I'll talk a little bit about the game, and then kind of a little bit about what they've been doing in the season. So. Uh, against the Browns yesterday, they had 12 drives, um, 12 total drives. Um, eight of the eight of the drives uh, ended with the Browns moving the ball 20 yards or fewer. Hmm. So there was, and one of one of the drives ended up was actually a negative 16 yard drive, which is you're going back five yards per play for three plays, yep. <laughs> and then you're punting. That's <laughs> that's pretty nice right there. Um, they had two. They had only two drives of forty yards or more, um, and those ended in a field goal, um, which was off. And that that forty yards was off of the thirty-seven yard uh, defensive pass interference by Brandon Stevens, which you you could argue may or should or should not have been called because that ball was thrown ten not yards catchable. off. Yeah, all off target. That there was no way the receiver was going to catch it. Um, and the other one was at the end of the game, uh, the long, the long run and, uh, it ended up in an, it ended with an interception. So, um, this team is very hard to drive the had to have any kind of sustained success, uh, you know, moving the ball for the offense. Um, and for the season, for the season, they have 47 total drives. Um, 11 drives have gone for 40 yards or more. So about 20 23% of the time, they, they get about 40 yards. And those, um, those have ended in just, out of those 11, it's just been three touchdowns, five field goals, a turnover on downs, and two interceptions. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's much better than expected because you'd expect that to be it. First of all, if you're just truncating to drives of 40 yards plus, you'd expect more more touchdowns than that. Yeah. Then they didn't even convert the rest of the field goals. It's turnovers and downs and it's whatnot. But right. Remarkable. 
this is this has been they've they've been playing just great team defense. Um, they're they're not giving up big plays. There's there's no blown coverages, and you know another thing is they're flying to the ball like they're they're not missing tackles. And then on the, on the occasions when they do miss tackles, they have two or three guys right there to you know keep it keep it from being an even bigger bigger gain. So you know. Things like that cause big plays, and they have just been excellent at doing, doing everything. And it's they're they're playing as as good as football defensive football as anybody in the league right now. Yeah, I I, I might argue better, but there are teams who've given up less points at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, what the Ravens have done is really exceptional, certainly in terms of any kind of yards per play statistic, um, and. You know, you mentioned the rallying to the football thing. You're put in a position to do that by playing good zone defense. That's one of the benefits is eyes are on the quarterback, but also eyes are on the receiver as soon as well. You can't you can't get easily given the hook if you're a, a defensive back or a safety in particular because you've got back-end coverage responsibility by a tight end or wide receiver who's calling for the football while somebody else has it already mm-hmm. underneath. So you, you're, it's it's just much harder to be fooled on the back end of the defense there, which leads to you know eleven billiard balls aiming straight at that guy who has the football, and it's it's not a good position to be with. Even if you've got say flowers hemmed in by four guys, you're not too optimistic about the eventual result of that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, great stuff there, by the way. Thank you for preparing that. I appreciate yeah. you you know being being ready with this kind of stuff. Uh, who else would you like to talk about? So yeah, um, let's talk about a, a little bit about uh, what uh, Marlon Humphrey has nicknamed uh, Mister Almost. Uh, <laughs> I thought that that video clip, if you haven't seen it yet, of Marlon <laughs> sticking a camera in Clowney's face after the game and calling him Mister Almost and saying people are calling you Mister Almost, and then you know, Clowney unloads on him with an expletive and whatnot. And Humphrey goes, "Well, actually, that was me. I just thought of that." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very funny, but boy, you'd have to be Marlon Humphrey to try that. I wouldn't want to be a rookie and try that to Clowney on the team plane. Oh no! And yeah. Clowney looked pissed when he when he heard that. And yeah, he was, <laughs> and you know he 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 found out after it was a joke. He he lightened up, but yeah, I mean Clowney has really been a big asset to this defense so far this year. Um, he's he's putting on he's putting pressure on quarterbacks and he's been there easily their best pass rusher outside pass rusher all year. And unfortunately he's been Mr. Almost. Um, you would have liked to see him get at least one sack from his, uh, from, from his former team, but he's, he's really been a disrupting force and he had another tackle for loss and he had three or four pressures and, hits on the quarterback and he's he's playing a lot better than even what I would have expected to see out of him uh yeah, so this far. is interesting I scored him for four pressures and I'm just noting PFF has him for six normally I might have him for more because of a three second standard and whatnot but uh you know one of them he missed the sack and then Thompson Robinson turned it into instead of what would have been about an eight yard sack maybe turned it into an 18 yard sack by running mm-hmm. backwards inexplicably I thought Clowney had knocked the ball free but he actually just lost it as he was dropped it pulling his hand backwards Uh, that was a that was a team sack the the Ravens this year have had two team sacks and I think in their entire history it probably had you know less than five I would guess Mm -hmm. but it's uh it's it's not a common thing anyway that occurs so uh uh, Clowney a, a really exceptional game again and he's giving the Ravens those fast initial pressures they need to get these compound events that eventually lead to sacks. And by the way, there is nothing wrong with the Ravens' ability to convert sacks in aggregate. They're third in the National Football League with 15 sacks. The only two teams with more than them are have 16 each. It might be the Chargers because Khalil Mack, I know, had a big game, and there's one other team. Oof, six but, sacks, but, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's relatively remarkable but the Ravens have, have done a great job of, of generating multiple contribution sacks as they've uh, uh, come up with this. I, I don't want to get on a soapbox too much about this, but I do want to say this. PFF 
hands out entire pressure events to offensive linemen. And I noticed one of their guys, I won't say who it was, said in the last week, you know what's stupid is fractional sacks. Because why shouldn't both guys get a full sack if they both allowed the sack? You know, or both would have allowed the sack. And here's what I'm going to say about that. There are times when in the NFL, that's, a, that's, that's the correct way to do it, that both of your edge both of your tackles get beat by the edge defender. They meet at the quarterback at the same time. Either of them would have had a sack, and you should give a sack to both of them, and that would be the proper um, uh, you know, way to stick a metric on that. Mm-hmm. But that's about 5% of sack plays that are developed that. The bulk of them happen the way the Ravens get them. Is there some sort of interior pressure that, or, or, or exterior pressure that moves the quarterback? He gets into a disadvantaged position. Somebody else finishes the sack. The guy who originally forced that pocket to be vacated, he deserves a portion of that sack, and, and in particular the offensive lineman who allowed it to happen, might deserve the entire sack in many cases. If he forces the quarterback to step right up into three defensive tackles who are you know, bearing down on the situation, then the, the sack's really on him. It's not on anybody else typically. Uh, so I, I, I think that fractional sacks are a much more accurate way to do it. But if I can't convince you on that basis, and I know we have a lot of STEM people in the audience, let me start with this. If I am limited to giving a one or zero on a sack to any any player on any play, whether I'm talking about a defender or an offensive lineman where I'm charging it, I am inherently going to be less accurate than someone who can, with good methodology, give out 0.4 and 0.6 or 0.25 and 0.75 or half and half, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I'm inherently going to be more accurate if I can give out fractional sacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know you're yeah. not the one. It sounds like I'm coming down on you, Brandon, here, but uh, I just saw this from, <laughs> from one of the PFF guys again this week. And they bring out this argument that I've had the conversation with him probably 20 times over the years. And exactly this one. I, I don't know what's happening on the other end of the phone or Twitter when it's happened, but I can only tell you eyes are glazing over because they're not really understanding the argument if they're not looking at it mathematically yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the reason the NFL does it is they want to basically have their official box score and their official game statistics match up to what actually happened in the game. So, yeah, no, by the way, no problem with that. No, yeah. no problem at all. The NFL wants to give out halves, fulls, and zeros. I'm fine. Yeah, and, and not ever yeah. give out a third. No problem. They, they've got, yeah. but, but it's not the, the NFL is not responsible for analysis of the game. It's the outsiders who are responsible for analysis of the NFL's yeah. product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and then also I was going to say is um, if, if you give out like say a third or a quarter of a sack, it becomes a lot more subjective than it, it, with a half, you can, maybe you can obviously see, Oh, this guy had him by his legs. This one pushed him over and mm-hmm. you know, so they both contributed equally, more or less. So they both get a half, as opposed to, well, this guy flushed him. This guy grabbed grabbed his leg, but didn't quite hold on. And this guy really finished him off. And how you divide, you know, two or three people can be a, li- a lot more complicated and a lot more subjective, rather than just a basic objective measurement. So. I, I'm I'm okay with the responsibility for that subjectivity because of the increased accuracy. So I could be wrong. I, I could be, it could be a quarter when, when I'm calling it a half, but it's a, a half, a half is a much better number than one or zero because yeah. I'm going to be inherently much more accurate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on talk about some other players here who you, you just brought up somebody, I think. Yeah. I just brought up Clowney. Yep. Connie, right. Okay. So we've had a discussion. I think okay. How about Mollette? I want to talk about him because he's a guy who came in, played, I thought, brilliantly at slot corner, uh, left the game with some sort of a little ding, and then came back and played after that. I, I heard he was evaluated for a concussion, which means he passed. It's great, by the way, when you can be evaluated in game and already be through yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so he set up the first uh, in, first in, interception um, on – Boy, just just an incredibly poor poor throw. So, it, Cooper ran a slant, a, an inside slant pattern, and Mallette was the trail was trailing him a little bit. He was he was it was tight coverage, but he was trailing him a little bit. And DTR threw 
made the pass so poorly that he threw behind Millette, who was a full human being behind the, the receiver yep. that he was intending to throw to. And Millette was able to at least tip the ball up in the air, and Stevens made a great diving grab to for the interception. But yeah, he um, he, he he had a great de- debut, and hopefully he'll carry it over to his uh, his next uh, his old his old team next week. Yeah, it, I thought it was uh, you know some wonderful play from him. I, he was one of the guys I have in my star treatment section, so I'll, I'll let you go there if you want to read about his game otherwise. But he had great plays against the run. He had a very nice undercut to, to uh, of Najoku to take him down for five plus one on the right sideline, meaning he got only one yard after the catch on third and 12. Uh, he did a real nice uh, job to work off a block from from a wide receiver to make a tackle for one yard gain on third and two took down Ford for a loss of two on second and three. I mean, he just made lots of contributions and it was pass defense. It was tackling after a pass was, was in there. It was containing DTR on that, on that pitch play. Mm-hmm. By the way, does DTR need a physics lesson in that? I feel like this is something we ought to tell players about this, but if you're moving forward at a given rate of speed, that ball is also moving forward at a given rate forward. of speed. So if you, yep. Push it if you did. They tell you this on the football field and on teams. Oh no, they they didn't t- tell us this. We, we were told never. You're, you're told basically never to pitch like that. <laughs> okay. And and especially what he did on that play it was, yeah, he was. I don't know. He lost his mind right there. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's kind of like he he pitched it. And the ball obviously had held forward because it was already heading forward, and mm-hmm. uh, and he ends up with an illegal forward pass. It cost him five yards, but it was funny to see. Yeah, and it, it was funny. So while um, while the the crowd at the stadium was watching the replay, you heard like a, a big oh, you know, like the the ref made a bad call. It's like no, he, <laughs> he he pitched that thing and it went a, a good yard and a half forward, mm-hmm. even though he was the guy he was quote unquote aiming for was behind him a little right. bit. And when yeah. it, 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 he didn't complete the pitch, did he? It went out of bounds? No, it, it yeah. just went out, out of bounds. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was an interesting play and definitely one where the Ravens had it well contained. Uh, they didn't have the pitch guy covered among three players, mm-hmm. but they uh, they did a good job, obviously, in, in getting him into a bad decision. I felt like a lot of the Ravens' defense was – The pit, the pitch guy had the pitch guy covered because he was not expecting that ball at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was Bryant. Harrison Bryant. So the, the I, I felt like the Ravens, frankly, were playing for unforced errors for a lot of this game. And we already talked about the pass behind that Molette got a tip on. Um, a lot of the really reduced accuracy, a lot of the problems with, with DTR having his eyes in the wrong place or giving away information to zone defense that would allow them to close on the ball and make some plays. It was all a lot of unforced errors in this game. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, whose turn is it? I'm sorry, I just did Molette, right? You got another player to yeah. go? Mm-hmm. Um, so talk, let's talk a little bit about uh, Cal Van Noy's uh, debut. Um, he, he he played a pretty good amount um, while he was, uh, you know, considering he had just been signed off the practice squad a couple of days earlier and played really well. You know, he had a, a pass defense. Um, he had a really nice pressure i think probably on one of his first couple pass rushes on a third down to uh force force um dtr out of the out of the pocket i think it ended up being an incompletion um and yeah like he he looks like he's gonna be you know in in whatever role he's gonna be he's gonna you know be a nice contributor um i mean his ability as a Sam Sam linebacker to help out with that uh, until Bowser gets back, and you know, hopefully, maybe at some point Ojabo gets back. But I guess we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, we didn't get good news from that, but um, I I think he's going to give he's going to give some quality snaps, whatever snaps he does get. Yeah, I I agree, and they need him as a backup Sam linebacker, even when Bowser comes back. So I, I don't even think he has to be necessarily limited to that. Although Sam is really his spot. He only dropped a coverage once in this game, but I don't think that necessarily has to be that way at all. It's a role he's played very well in his previous years at New England, playing in probably the most similar defensive scheme to the Ravens that there is out there. 
Um, so I, I would expect him to, to, to drop to cover some. What, what I found really good, in addition to the pressures, is I thought he had a really good game against the run. He drew a holding penalty on the run, didn't make the score sheet for a tackle, but he also didn't have any missed tackles. And here's the big stat. The Browns rushed for eight yards on seven plays while he was in there against the run. Plus they had this penalty for, you know, minus 10. Then I, I, I don't want to bring this up constantly, but I will say I looked on PFF and he had a score of 25 for tackling, which is terrible, despite not having a missed tackle. I would think you'd have to have a missed tackle to get that low. And 41.8 for run defense. <clears throat> so my question is, how is it possible? And I, I guess I could go back and look at those plays again, make sure I didn't miss something. And that's always possible. But I asked the PFF people, and Gordon McGinnis is going to look into this for me, is what where was he downgraded? And why wasn't he upgraded on some of the other run plays? Because just the, the, the holding penalty alone would be, I think, worth a lot in terms of what he contributed to run defense for this game and only eight snaps. So, you know, seven, seven plus one. So it's, to me, it's, it's very unusual that, uh, that he would have been in that position. So uh, I have to take that, that number with a grain of salt, both the, both the run defense number and the tackling number. And I, like you, I thought he had a great game in terms of pressure. Uh, he was in there consistently and, and did very well. Yeah. Yeah. Good veteran presence, you know, not, not expecting too many mistakes from him. So yeah, good. To, good to see. Good to see. Good debut. I guess I, if it's my turn, I'll bring up Roquan Smith. And uh, we, I think we're on the verge of taking him for granted in terms of how how great he's been. But the guy is consistently coming up week after week with a level of play that is so much higher than when he was in Chicago. And you understand Chicago is kind of a messed up situation and whatnot. He probably didn't have good structure around him. He probably also didn't have good players around him. And that combination of things is bad to, to create some forced and unforced errors from him in terms of what he has to do to, to pick up assignments for other players. And yet he's been so much better in terms of his play with the Ravens and what he was there. I'm, I'm shocked by it. And I, I think this is another player development, um, huge win for the Ravens, despite the fact they got him pretty much at the peak of his career in year four, or was it even year five? Cause I think it was, he's on the fifth year, year option, right? Yeah. Yep. Year five. Yeah. <clears throat> and he's already been all pro with the, with the Ravens. I, I think he's headed for, um, you know, several more play, Pro Bowls potentially, and he's still a fairly young man. He's two years old, older only than Patrick Queen. So, uh, you know, still headed for for some great things in football. I think the thing I liked about him most in this game was how he had eyes on the quarterback and really got value out of that by getting his hands on a couple of passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I will say – some people might be taking him for granted. I am not one of those people. I, I am appreciating and loving what he is bringing to this defense. And I mean, since he's come over, what since he came over midseason last season. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Say big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? 
picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket, outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I mean, this has been as good a defense as there as there is in the NFL and they are playing he's setting the tone he's he's leading them and he he is flying around that field um if 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 he's on if if a play is he's either on on that pile making that hit that secondary guy or he's two steps away from from the ball carrier when he comes down and he's you know he's putting in the, he has a green dot so he's putting them in the everybody's in the right position and i mean they're they're not giving up big plays there's there's not missed assignments there's i mean he's he's everything you want in a linebacker he's everything you want he really is that ultimate three down unicorn and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, the Ravens get the full term of the contract and look at this as one of the greatest deals in team history. I would think by the end, even at 20 million a year, if he's playing the way he was this year and last, uh, I don't think there's any question of whether that has value or not. I, I'm going to go back to the other thing you said, which is that the Ravens defense since Roquan arrived has basically been the best defense in football. And by the way, I completely agree with you on that. And I did, you know, before this season, there was some discussion, and I'm I'm a person who's guilty of this, who said a lot of this is also Tyus Bowser, who returned at the exact same time as Roquan did. And so not only did you have the value of Roquan game, but you also had Tyus Bowser creating all this pass rush flexibility for the team. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? No Tyus Bowser this year, and the Ravens are just as good as they were last year. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited, you know, Marlon Humphrey's coming back soon. Tyus is coming back soon. Hopefully Elway's coming back soon. I mean, Marcus Williams also, like, they're getting a lot of a lot of some of their top top players back. And this is gonna be a heck of a unit in November and December. And hopefully they can take this to an even higher level. But they are playing some excellent team defense right now. Yeah. It is, you know, you've, you've said that about like three or four times on these two episodes that we've recorded tonight. And, and it bears mentioning they are team in so many ways. Their team in terms of their zone defense, all eyes are on the football and they're rallying to the football. Their team in terms of being good assignment players who understand if you're a defensive lineman, how you take up space. Listen to Brent Urban talk in the interview he did with me about how he denies space as a run defender. And that he he sometimes has to think about making a play for himself, but he's also a lot of times he's trying to set up somebody else behind him. It's mm-hmm. true of a, of a Pierce as well. That's another element of team defense. The fact that they play cover two and that is decreasing the what might not be a significant weakness anymore. We don't really know at this point because they've played so well at outside cornerback has been a great element of team defense. And the fourth I'd add is that the pass rush is very team dependent. It's dependent on multiple components of getting home to finish sacks. And they're third in the national freaking football league in sacks right now with 15. So uh, there's no element of this. I don't think that, that, that has not. And, you know, we always hear the, the, the comment that pass rush and coverage are so inexorably linked that you can't possibly find all of the separations to isolate the impact of either one. And uh, analysts will say that anyway, I've heard it a number of times, but, but I think this team is proving that as much as, as much as any, it's a great fundamental scheme, but it's also got great individual play um, to basically stop the run with six defenders in the box to, 
you know, allow these outside corners to have a basically a little bit of an easier job than they would otherwise by playing a lot of cover two and by having some incredible game wreckers in terms of players like Clowney and Hamilton, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, who can make a lot of individual effort plays as well when needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. They're, they're, they're just every, they're every, they're everywhere. And they are playing just excellent ball right now. Yep. All right. Um, is it your turn in front of the player or is it mine? I don't remember anymore. Um, it, you did Roquan. So okay. I, um, I'll do uh, Patrick Queen, who is playing easily the best ball of his career. And uh, he is taking a, you know, a cue from Roquan and he is, he is flying everywhere as well. Like the, that duo, I, I don't know if there's a better duo of inside linebackers in the league, um, but he is, uh, he, he's flying around and the physicality that he's, he's showing, it's just something that we've rarely seen in his first few years that um, we're seeing now, like when he, uh, when he blitzed and got that sack, I mean, he bowled over that, I think it was that fullback and knocked over an offensive lineman uh, as well to get that sack. And I mean, like he, he didn't have that physicality early on in his career and he's taken it on and he's, he's playing at a very high level right now. You're on mute. Yeah, I agree entirely in, in the case of uh, of Queen and what he's been able to accomplish uh, this season. He hasn't been perfect as a tackler this year, but he's made up for it with a lot of really fine plays uh, coming from level two and and uh, making his presence known as he did in this game on a, on a sack. Um, he did some things in coverage that were positive. He, I think we mentioned in the first episode, but he came was coming in hard on Njoku who made a career decision to hold up on the ball tipped it, was almost intercepted by Stone. First of all, probably should have been a reception. But but Njoku may have been correct in his thought that that ball was going to be um, uh, dislodged from him in any case. He's going to be separated from that football. But what it ended up doing when he touched the ball is it gave Stone a chance for the interception. He didn't make it that time. But each one of those is a nice solid lottery ticket on interception in terms of, of uh, uh, having a chance for a turnover. And you just need to accumulate those, accumulate good – Good chances. It's like having good at bats in baseball. You're eventually going to get some extra base hits. Right. Yep. Um, the the other thing I think is worth mentioning about Queen. This happened late in the game, but he had a very odd play where he chose basically not to take the head off of a Browns receiver near the right sideline. Did you catch that play? Uh, no. I made. I maybe I just don't remember it. Or All right. Out that much. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I'm going to try and find out a, a timestamp for you, but I'd really like to get your view on this. Cause it was a, it was the kind of play where, um, where I really would have expected him to, uh, where was it? Darn it. Yeah. It's Q4, 1421. That's the play. That's the timestamp. Okay. So what what I have here is second and 24, 96 Bulls, 75, 24 Bulls, 79 to flush 17 from near safety to RR12. Okay, so he's in the end zone. DTR almost went down. Six chooses not to tackle. MT, no attempt at eight-yard line, and 40 drags down. So Harrison kind of had him at that point, but he, he could have, you know, you have a backup quarterback already in the game, and I know the game's out of reach, but – DTR was not going down, and that was a good opportunity to separate the upper and lower halves of his body on that play, and it really seemed like something that probably should have been taken in terms of a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take take a look. And other folks yeah. out there, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this in terms of any comments uh, when the episode is posted. Uh, just comment directly to that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Q4, 1421. Is that a hit you'd rather see Patrick Queen take? Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I'll definitely check that out. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, you talked about Patrick Queen. Let me pick a player. You know, a guy who I thought had a really good game, has been playing really well this season, kind of under the radar because there hasn't been a lot of snaps, is Malik Harrison. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. 
And basically, he's playing exclusively outside linebacker. Most of the times, he'd been playing in the base package in previous weeks. This week, they played all nickel, so he played nickel some, and they gave a little bit of snap relief to their outside linebackers, particularly as the game went on. He didn't play that many total snaps in this game, and his total for the season is relatively small, like he's played under 40 snaps, I think, but really played some terrific run defense. He's been good in terms of taking people down quickly after the catch as a um, defender in terms of, of uh, a coverage defender and just been exceptional player who I think has gone under the radar. And that'll happen when you only play 40 snaps in four games. But uh, I think worth noting, I thought he had a really good game this, this week. He's been good at setting the edge um, and not letting uh, the running back get outside. Um, I've, I have noticed that a couple of times he's, you know, he's, he, he's he's moving well and defending that edge really well. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Who would you like to talk about otherwise? I still got a couple of guys from the secondary I want to hit on. Uh, Brandon Stevens. Um, congratulations to him on his first career interception. And um, he's he has made himself into at, at least a, an above-average starting cornerback uh, this year. Um, he... He's been a guy last year, he played well in a backup role and, you know, there's been some up and ups and downs with him. Like he got benched in, I think the New England game um, last year and then, you know, came back uh, later in the season and started playing a little bit better in a reserve role. And he's taken over uh, the starting cornerback role and has been easily their best cornerback. And, has played really, really good ball and um, is you know, once Marlin gets back, it, him and him and Marlin could be a really nice duo. And he's been playing, he's playing physical, he's physical against the run, making good tackles, and has been a good coverage guy. Like he's he's not a shut. I wouldn't say I would call him a shutdown corner, but he's been very solid and did not giving up a lot of plays. Now, we know that in general, the Ravens have allowed very few yards per pass play. So that goes into this, of course. But both Darby and Stevens have opposing quarterback ratings under 79 this year. That's just outstanding. The NFL average is probably closer to 100 than 95, I would guess. I'd have to look at that to be sure, but it'd be in that range between 95 and 100. And each of them has only missed one tackle, which is a huge stat for cornerbacks who – if they miss a tackle, it tends to be a lot worse than if a defensive lineman misses a tackle and the guy gets four extra run yards because of it. Uh, or even on a missed sack sometimes, it, it, it might not be as serious because it retracts the quarterback into a, a as bad or worse situation. But the big thing for, for Stevens, from my point of view, would be yards per target. I want to get this right here. So he's given up. Oh, come on now. Steven's given up. Um, he's had 33 targets and given up 226 yards. So that's under seven yards a target this year, which would be a big improvement on his career. Uh, 6.8 yards per target. That's very solid for an outside cornerback, by the way. Darby uh, has given up 123 yards. And where's his target? Number 25. He's given up under five yards per target. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Most important stats there for a cornerback is, you know, how, for, along with how many penalties are they giving up, is is what's the passer rating against the yards per target? And I guess are they getting beat for TDs is the other thing. Stevens has not been beat for a TD. Darby got beat for one. That was by T. Higgins in the corner of the end zone on a play that um, mm -hmm. only T. Higgins yeah, can make. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I'm I'm very happy with the Ravens' corners on on all levels so far. Should we be at all concerned that the average quarterback the Ravens is, will face is going to go up substantially for the rest of the season? Um, there could be some concern, but you also have to uh, think about that. You know, we Marcus Williams is coming back. He's been missing the last three games. Marlon Humphrey's been out the, the entire season. Um, 
And, I mean, C.J. Stroud has lit up these last three opponents, including the Steelers this week, and could not move the ball against the Ravens at all in week one. And so, and Joe Burrow, you know, he's, he's, he seems to be hampered a little bit, but he is, I mean, that's still Joe Burrow out there, and that's still Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, who are excellent number one wide receivers, and they've been able to shut down that up. Shut down that offense. So, yeah, the the level of competition is going to go up, but also it's going to be more bad weather as the season goes on. And like, like I don't. Maybe they're not going to be as spectacular as they've been these these first four weeks, but I'm not going to expect a, a that large large of a drop either in their in their play. Right. Well, I'm very excited about it. It's certainly been one of the big surprises is, is how well the secondary as a whole has played. We knew the safety group was good, but we also knew Marcus Williams got hurt in that very first game. So it's it's been uh, uh, one thing after another. So the guy I want to talk about is Geno Stone. And he has been, um, again, a guy who filled in for Williams at a level unexpectedly high again this year. He's that perfect back-end, half-field guy, loose bracket he's very comfortable with, which means he's really playing for the overthrow and the tip well. He's a good tackler, and I think he's um, uh, just been excellent for a split-field safety to have eyes on the quarterback and try to figure out what's going on. We saw that big time against Joe Burrow with the with the one time Burrow really tested the defense uh, down the middle of the field, and, and they actually had a very complex play design there to take Stone out of the play by having the receiver on the left side, Jomar Chase, I believe, um, <clears throat> run him to coverage on that side. Right. And yeah. Stone misread Chase's initial me- re- uh, movement. That's easy to see why he did. If you look at the video, he's looking right at Burrow the whole time. He didn't even try and look at Chase. So whatever they were trying to do with him in terms of the poker game of, of uh, offensive coordinating that play, it didn't mm-hmm. work, and he moved right in and closed that window in a very classic way. Uh, you know, as you're as you're um, closing the window from the from the front side of that play, you close that window at several times the speed that a trailing defender can catch up to a receiver. Mm-hmm. So that quarterback is focused on how much how much where do I have to put that ball to be just past the the trail coverage? But the guy you really need to look at in zone coverage is the guy who's who's closing the window from the other side. You got to see it in front of the receiver and. Uh, Burrow didn't do a good job of that game, but Burrow's arm strength was such that it, it would have made things difficult. And when I look at that, I, I, you know, now I'm trying to figure out how many elite arm strength guys are there in the AFC. Certainly, they're playing Justin Herbert later this year. Yeah. But, you know, how much do they really need to be worried about? Uh, you know, they're going to play the Lions. That's Jared Goff. I don't think of, yeah, of him as um, being an elite arm strength guy. Yeah, he's he's not exactly striking fear. <laughs> no. Yeah. And that's a good team, I mean, I mean, no doubt about it. But man. Yeah, they're a good team, but yeah, Jared Goff is not the one that is, you know, going to scare you that much. Yeah. Word came out today that Mitch Trubisky is likely to take Kenny Pickett's spot this week because Trubisky has some yeah. sort of an ongoing project, a problem where he's going to miss time. Yeah, Pickett uh, hurt his knee yesterday. How, how do you feel like that in terms of the difference of the quality of opponent? I the way Pickett has been playing, I'm almost disappointed that he's missing the game. Um, yep. He is, he, he, he hasn't been good at all. Um, the good news is Mitch Trubisky is not a good quarterback either. So I, I, I would, I guess I would probably rather have Pickett, but it's fine. I'll take on Trubisky as well. <laughs> I, I would rather have Pickett as well. And I, I went through the same kind of uh, five steps of fear and loathing, or whatever the five steps are of of grief. Mm-hmm. But the, but the the uh, the thing I also came to the conclusion of was that yes, you're playing Trubisky, and he's probably a slight step up from from Pickett. But you're also then the backup quarterback has to be somebody who's got to be off the charts bad, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even know who that would be. Their number three quarterback. Yeah, yeah. I'll take just a moment to look that up because I think that's. Uh, but their number three quarterback is Mason Rudolph. Okay, we've seen him play before. He's oh, bad, but yeah, yeah. Um, you could probably do worse with your number three quarterback. Right. Mm-hmm. Mason Rudolph will still always be the guy who had 
his, I think it was his face mask unscrewed as he walked off the field loopy the one time. Do you recall this? No, I I only remember him because Miles Garrett took his helmet off and then tried to gently place it back on. But... But yeah, no, I don't. I don't remember that. I remember him. He had a really bad game against the Ravens. Of, I guess probably back in uh, their uh, uh, two twenty, the in Lamar's MVP season. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll see if I can get a picture of it that gives me anything more, but I, I can't right away. So anyway, yeah, there it is. There's the picture. It is in a Baltimore game. He left the field with no face guard. They had to screw it off him during the process of looking at him on the field. And the score at that time was 17 to 13 in the third quarter, midway through the third quarter. Oh, wow. But it, it's not a good look if you if you look at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. If we're done with players, do you have any, anybody else you want to hit on before we go? Um, no, I think, uh, yeah, I think we, we touched everybody. All right. Well, let's give our, our defensive MVPs of this game. As usual, we'll do it three, two, one. Uh, you're the guest. Please tell me who your number three guy is. Okay. Um, number three, I had, um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Almost, I had Davian Clowney. Um, <laughs> he, he was just really disruptive, uh, pass in, in the pass rush and, <laughs> also good at the run run defense so i thought he was um thought thought he deserved special mention you know against his old team i'm sorry for that folks i thought i had my mute on when i did that dealing with the cold here trying to get through it um great choice by the way uh so my number three guys justin matt at bk i thought you know he had his best game of the year by a by a fairly wide margin did well in some limited snaps 35 in this game and applied very significant pressure uh, beating a decent offensive line to uh, to generate that. Yeah. So my number two, I had to, I couldn't choose just one. I, I so I cheated a little bit. I had the cheater, entire cheater. defensive line. Yeah, cheater, cheater. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you got your guy in there. I, I'll give you my number two guy. Even though he only played twenty three snaps, is Kyle Van Noy. I think he came in and made an immediate impact, run and pass. I thought uh, you know, drew the holding penalty. Um, three pressures plus a batted ball as I scored it. So uh, he, he did a lot of things well in this game immediately as a presence. And I think he, he looks like he's the player the Ravens need to supplement Tyus Bowser when he comes back and play a significant amount of those Sam snaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, had a very nice debut. Yeah. Um, and my number one was Roquan. Uh, Roquan, he was just absolutely all over the field and the, just the leadership that he's displaying the way this defense is playing um since he's taking over since he's taken over it's it is it's just been phenomenal and i mean and if he keeps playing like this and the defense keeps playing like this he should probably get some defensive player of the year uh votes as well now that's you know that's an interesting thing because i think the ravens could have some vote splitting that goes on with that. That's something that, you know, the Steelers maybe had when Harrison and Palomalo were both great at the same time. Uh, it's something, you know, that the, the, uh, the Ravens haven't really faced in the same way, but maybe with Lewis and Reed at certain times, like 2008, it might've been a, a minor consideration, maybe, maybe in 2006, even more so uh, with multiple players who were contributing on that defense. But it is, it is a possibility. I think also Kyle Hamilton, is still in the running. And we didn't talk about him in a specific way here, other than a lot of talk about, is he really going to be more impactful up front? Uh, he's an honorable mention guy for me. That last um, minute interception was the last play of the game. Was the last play of the yeah, game. Yes. Last play. Yeah. Yep. And I guess you saw in the, in the on Twitter that he gave the ball to his mom at the airport. It looks like. Oh, or that's great. some other place where they have a have a uh, thing. I wonder if Brandon Stevens is feeling some shame for not doing that, or maybe he wants it for himself and whatnot. Kyle Hamilton's going to have a lot more accolades yeah. throughout his career. But uh, we had Melissa Kim on the show last week, and she talked about how um, yeah. he, she, and Kyle both have Korean moms, and they're both described. And I, I would be a little uncomfortable bringing this up, but she used it and seems to be comfortable with the with the moniker that they're both tiger moms. 
mm-hmm. push their kids right. very hard, want their kids to get in the Ivy League school. And both she and uh, uh, Kyle have come to the conclusion that going to second tier colleges that were not Ivy League or anything outside the Ivy League is a second tier college, you know, in theory. <laughs> sure. um, yeah. And they each had a sibling who went to Penn together. So they had this in common. It was, it was oh, kind of nice so. to hear. But uh, wow. yeah. uh, it, I, I know that uh, I, I don't like generalized racialness in general, but mm-hmm. but to have it come in, in that case for Melissa, I thought was kind of entertaining and that, and that she and Kyle really bonded over something they shared. Right. Yeah. You know, another play that I really love from Kyle, and it was at the end of the game, that that long 40 yard run um, that they had at the end of the game, Kyle was hustling and caught up to him and made that tackle. And I mean, you know, for a play that was literally meaningless um, for him to, you know, just be out there hustling and stopping him and keeping him from getting the end zone. Um, you know, I think that sets the, a, a great tone for the defense as a, as a as a whole, and you know his individual effort as well. Did did he run that down from the other side of the field? Was he on the other side, lined up on the other side, the other half of yeah, coverage? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That that's very impressive when that happens. Um, mm-hmm. There is a play in Ravens history which is the ultimate play of that type that I just love because it was early in a game. It was meaningful in terms of the play. But Lardarius Webb ran somebody down in the 2014 win at New Orleans. And they won the game by two touchdowns probably in the end, or maybe it was a little closer than that. But Lardarius Webb ran somebody down for a 66-yard gain at the one-yard line. I think that's the approximate level. I might have it slightly wrong. But it was from slot corner on the opposite side. And he ran the guy down uh, on the play, knocked him out of bounds, and then the Ravens stopped him on four downs from that spot. And that totally set the tone for the game in terms of yeah. being a, being a huge play. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it, Kyle, Kyle is, you know, he, and he's, he's an eraser uh, when it comes to coverage against tight ends and slot, slot corners as uh, slot receivers as well. So he's, he's playing very good ball as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great stuff here. I think we're going to have to cut off any additional film study mailbag, but really appreciate the questions. Some great stuff we included in the first episode. Hope you go back and listen to that. Brandon, I want to thank you. Uh, Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure. I'm on Twitter at uh, Brandon Croxton five and uh, just looking forward to uh, game on Sunday Steelers week. So get, get ready and get, get pumped. I don't think it's going to be a lot of difficulty for me. This is one of the biggest weekends for Baltimore sports coming up. We've had a long time mm-hmm. with two Orioles playoff games at home, a Steelers game. And honestly, we're, we have some difficulty deciding where we need to be. I'm really hoping Major League Baseball bails us out with a night game for the Orioles. Right. But my guess is they're probably going to be the Dodgers and Braves of the night games. Mm-hmm. So they will stick it to us in in the way it's been done in Thursdays of old, where the Ravens didn't get the opener. I'll, uh, I'll settle if they have it as a four o'clock game on Sunday. Right, I would take that. Yeah. If you're doing it on TV, you got no problem with that. If if you're doing it, you want to go to both games, or sorry, watch the first one on TV and go to the other. That's that's a much harder double. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, very very excited. This is a great time to be a Baltimore sports fan. Um, the Orioles is just. You know they they play great, um, and they're playing they're playing great team uh, ball. Like there's there's no true superstar out there. Um, you know, like maybe we look back ten years from now, we this was the beginning of a Hall of Fame careers for Adley and Gunner, but I mean the rest of this team are you know average to good players, and they're, but they're playing just great team ball, and it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, I think. Other folks may have missed it, but this weekend, the Norfolk Tides on Saturday went up to Las Vegas to play the single-game AAA championships. They play a best-of-three to win the International League, and they did that by winning the last two games. And then they went out to Las Vegas to play one game against, oh, it was the Dodgers-Oklahoma City team for the for the AAA championship. And one thing that you can take a lot of solace in, and they won the game 7-6, to six. Kowser hit a grand slam to, to win the game or to put them ahead anyway, um, you look at that team and they're one through six players in the batting order. Every single one of them should be a very good major league player. And it is just so exciting. The era of Baltimore baseball 
we're entering here is is very special. It's a lot like being around the 2002 Ravens and seeing how good they looked in terms of rookie talent and you know talent that was just there getting their first meaningful playing time, like Kelly Gregg, who'd been in the league for a couple of years, um, mm-hmm. and how good they projected to be thereafter. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Just get the that lease signed, officially signed, and yeah. Let's okay. I have to ask you about that. How upset should we be as fans that I, they announced was, that we have a signed lease and we I don't was, have crap? I was very upset. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it got me, yes, it, it got me uh, very nervous. As okay, well. so which of those two pinheads should we be more upset with? Is this more of an Angelos issue or a Westmore issue? And I don't mean in terms of the negotiation. I mean in terms of announcing it as a done deal at that game. Well, I I don't think Westmore has control of the big board, so I'm I'm putting all the blame on Angelos. On that. See, I think I think Angelos, as a lawyer, I think he's a lawyer too, like like his dad. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he's just a businessman. I think he should have known better in terms of announcing it because it's because it's not that. But he it, hey, he's willing to stand up for this lie if Moore is because mm-hmm. Moore's got everything to lose, and Angelos has a non-binding agreement. So if you want to put more in an even worse negotiating position, just say the deal's done and then have more try and explain it to his constituency because Angelus doesn't have anything riding on that. Right. Yeah. Mm. So. so I'm pissed off with Wes Moore. And I thought uh, he, he you know, the way he was cheering in the stands about the whole thing indicated a deal was actually done. And I feel bad about this because as we entered the stadium for that night and the Ravens, you know, the Orioles also won their hundredth game that day. So yeah, it was a big deal. Night, yeah. yeah. And and there was a guy handing out flyers outside that said, save the Orioles. And I didn't take one. I really should have. And we get inside. We hear that the is done. I'm like, well, that guy was wasting his time out there handing out those flyers. Well, no, I think he probably knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah. He must have. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So but, anyway, uh, Real pleasure doing this with you. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, please hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. You know the, the way that works by now, but I'll get I'll get back to you very quickly if you send me a message and talk through your idea about what make a good show. Brandon, thanks again for coming on. Just a wonderful discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.